Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. When I was growing up, I think we had a sort of negative image of Lent. You know, we were told we had to fast. We were told we couldn't have certain things, chocolate, sweets. There was always an emphasis on going to confession. And if I think back, although my parents were doing the best that they could for us, it kind of did develop a very negative sense as we began Lent. Oh, Lent's come around again. Sure, for the next six weeks, it's going to be a hard life type of thing. But for me, I think as I've grown and as I've had to preach on these texts for the past 18 or 20 years, it seems to me that starting in that very positive place and presenting a very positive image of God is something which is helpful to people. But I also think it's what Ignatius of Loyola tries to do, that, you know, we can't really engage with God unless we've done something about our image of God. And so I want people right at the beginning of Lent to experience, as I said, that no matter who you are, where you've come from, there's this God that's always loving, always caring. Because it's through that lens, I think we're meant to see the whole season. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. On Preach this week, we have Russell Pollitt. Russell is a Jesuit priest and the director of the Jesuit Institute South Africa. He is also the superior of the Jesuits in Johannesburg, and he is the very first Jesuit I met and whose homily I heard. It clearly left a lasting impression on me. Russell, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Ricardo, and I'm glad I had an impression on somebody. You certainly did. Russell, I obviously know about the Jesuit Institute because I worked there before coming to American Media, but won't you tell me a little bit about the Jesuit Institute and the presence of the Jesuits in South Africa? So the Jesuit Institute here in Johannesburg is the one big work of the Society of Jesus in the country. Many of the other things we do are things that we're doing on behalf of bishops, running seminaries, running parishes. Father Kolvenbach asked us in the late 90s to establish an identifiable Jesuit apostolate, and that's how this institute was born. Father Kolvenbach was a former superior general of the Jesuits. Indeed. And the institute does a number of different things, mostly training in Ignatian spirituality. We have training courses for spiritual directors. We have a training course for people giving the spiritual exercises. We do some commentary on church affairs and the politics of South Africa. And we also have a small communications department that does podcasts 
and sometimes a couple of videos, which you would know well, Ricardo. Indeed, I do. And I'm a little nervous because, as I said to you before, I had my radio start with you. You were the first priest I met, and you were my superior as well, and you're a dear friend. So this is quite a conversation that we're about to have. But before we get into that conversation, we have a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for a meaningful way to get closer to Jesus this Lent? Let me introduce you to a fantastic opportunity, Daily Rosary Meditations with Dr. Mike Scherschlich. Their podcast is quickly gaining popularity, offering daily meditations on the Catholic faith through the rosary. Each day, Dr. Mike dives into a different topic, guiding listeners in meditation while praying the rosary alongside a global community. In just under 20 minutes, you'll experience scripture, meditation, and the rosary, all designed to fit seamlessly into your daily routine. Whether it's during your morning coffee or your daily commute, it's a wonderful chance to start your day with faith and reflection. You can easily find them on your favorite podcast app by searching Daily Rosary Meditations or visiting their website at dailyrosary.net. Don't miss this chance to enrich your Lenten journey and strengthen your relationship with God. Join them on Daily Rosary Meditations today. You're preaching for the first Sunday in Lent, year B. Tell me, what are those readings about? The readings are very interesting. The first reading is from the book of Genesis, and it really talks about Noah and the flood. It gives us a picture of what happened, and it ends on a very positive note, that this is a, a new start for humanity. The psalm is the prayer of a person who's committed to God, someone who is faithful to God. And then in the second reading, it comes from the first letter of Peter, and it is about a community that's feeling rather persecuted, a community that's feeling rather downcast. And in this letter, Peter's trying to encourage them and saying, remember, God is always faithful. Just as God was faithful to Noah, so God is faithful to you as well. And just as the waters of the flood saved Noah, so the waters of baptism have saved you. And then, as the church has it, the gospel is Mark's gospel, the account of the temptations of Jesus. But this account is different because Mark doesn't really say too much about the temptations. He just tells us that Jesus was taken out into the desert to be tempted. So those are really the texts that we're looking at on the first Sunday of Lent. Hmm. And what audience do you have in mind? Who is the congregation as you prepare this homily? Our downtown parish, Holy Trinity in Johannesburg. And this will be at the main mass on the first Sunday of Advent. It's a very mixed community. So I'm aware of that. It's a very transient community because there's many migrants in the community from all over Africa. There's also local people. And also I'm aware in Lent that people who generally perhaps don't go regularly to church may show up on the first Sunday of Lent. Our churches are always fuller on the Lenten Sundays. And so I'm just aware that there may be people there as well that haven't had contact with the church for maybe a couple of months or even some years. And while you're director of the Jesuit Institute now, for more than 10 years, 10 years ago or more, you were the parish priest at Holy Trinity. So you know the congregation well. We work there together. This feels just like old times. I can't wait to hear you preach again. 
We will now hear Russell Pollard's homily for the first Sunday in Lent, Year B, especially recorded for Preach. What is Lent? It seems to me that's a good place to start as we begin journeying in the season of Lent. And I think the scriptures today help us answer that question. I'd like to suggest to you from each of the readings, we are given some insight into this sacred season. The first reading presents to us Lent as a new start. The flood story in Genesis ends in a very important place, a new start for humanity. Noah is presented to us as the second Adam. Thanks to his obedience, unlike Adam's, God makes a new covenant with humanity in the person of Noah. A sign of the covenant is God's commitment that the whole of creation would never be destroyed by a flood again. And the season of Lent invites us to a new start, to begin again. God, Lent tells us, is a God of new starts. We're invited in Lent to take a look at our lives and notice those parts of our lives that have frayed. I often like to think of the image of a rope, that as soon as the end of the rope comes loose, the strands begin to stray. And Lent, it seems to me, invites us to start to twist those strands together again. And these strands in our lives can be commitments we've made and have not honored, or perhaps relationships that have suddenly or maybe over time become frayed. Maybe our service of others, maybe our contribution to our local faith community, our relationship with God, or even our prayer life might seem at this time to be a little frayed. And so we're invited in this season to give ourselves a new start. I wonder, where do you feel God might be urging you to make a new start at this time? Perhaps to a commitment that is frayed, a relationship, partaking in your local Christian community, or maybe rekindling your own relationship with God in prayer. The second thing I want to say about Lent is that Lent is a reminder. In that letter of Peter that we heard, we are reminded of the faithfulness of God. The readers of that first letter of Peter were poor and being persecuted. They needed some encouragement. And the author reminds them of what Christ, poor and innocent, suffered and died. They are reminded of Christ's faithful endurance and God's faithfulness throughout all that happens. The author tells his readers that Noah was not saved by his ark, it was God who was faithful to the promise that God had made. But notice something else in that letter. We are told that Noah was saved by the waters of the flood, waters that prefigure our own baptism. Lent invites us to remember God's faithfulness, to call God's faithfulness to mind, no matter who you are, or where you've come from, or what you've done or failed to do, our God is a faithful God, a God who is always gently waiting, watching, loving, and looking out for us. 
that's not where it ends. There's even more. We are also reminded of who we are. In the waters of baptism, we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And so Lent invites us to remember not only God's faithfulness, but also our own identity, that each of us is the beloved of God. No one is excluded from being the beloved of God. We live in a world of so much division, so much anxiety, so much killing, fighting. It is easy for us to become totally disconnected from who we really are. And Lent, it seems to me, invites us as we look at the faithfulness of God to claim again our own identity, the only identity that really matters. During the season of Lent, can you allow yourself to feel, to experience your belovedness, that you are a beloved son or daughter of God? The third reflection I want to offer is the picture of the desert, that image of Jesus going into the wilderness or the desert. The desert is a place of minimal resources. Water is scarce and food is scarce. Often the climate is harsh and we see how fragile life is in the face of these extreme elements, hot and cold. In the desert, we have a different set of priorities. For those who often go into the desert, survival is key. But the desert is also a place of solitude, a place in which we become aware of life in a different way. We see the stars, for example, at night in the sky, maybe in ways that we never experience in our cities that are lit by all sorts of lights that flicker. We are attuned to the sounds of insects and animal life in the silence of the desert. And I want to suggest that Lent is also our desert, a time when we want to try and unclutter our lives to look at our priorities, what we really need to live well. Just as one would go into the desert with the essentials, so Lent, it seems to me, invites us to think about the essentials. We're invited into the solitude of the desert to notice the stars of life, the gifts that God has given us, those things that shine brightly, that perhaps we fail to notice when we are busy, when life is rushing around us and we are rushing in life. Lent is inviting us to hear the sounds of life, life in our own hearts and the hearts of others. Sounds that we don't normally hear or can't normally hear because life is just too busy. Life takes over. Jesus goes to the desert, that place of solitude, where he is asked to face his own priorities. And notice how in Mark's gospel, we are not told what Jesus faces. We are just told that he was tempted. He faces the same temptations as us in the desert. Our daily temptations, perhaps, to seek power and wealth and influence, to sow division, to be more self-centered than God or other-centered. And Mark perhaps feels that he does not need to fill the gaps because he knows that Jesus experiences 
and faces what we face, and we experience and face what Jesus faces. However, Jesus, we learn, ultimately knows what his priorities are, love of God and neighbor above all else. Lent invites us to enter into the desert, to examine our priorities, to give thanks for the gifts God gives us, and to look at those priorities again, noticing where we may have strayed, noticing where perhaps we have left the essentials behind. The season offers us a place to learn to love God, to love ourselves and others more freely by remembering God's faithfulness, noticing God's gifts to us, and reordering our priorities so that courageously we can hold on to the new start that God is always offering us. Can you open your heart, your life, to the season that teaches us that our past and present does not determine our future, that with God all things are possible, not just all things, but new things are possible. What will make this Lent different for you, different to you? That was Russell Pollitt for Preach. After the break, Russell shares how his technique of mapping out the themes of his homily, like an org chart, brings greater freedom to his delivery. Welcome back to Preach. A few words from our sponsors before we return to our conversation with Russell. Do you want to be a master preacher? If so, Aquinas Institute of Theology's Doctor of Ministry and Preaching program will help you become the kind of preacher the church so desperately needs today. Grounded in the charism of the Order of Preachers, the Aquinas program is the only Catholic program of its kind in the United States, and its graduates hold leadership roles in preaching and teaching throughout the world. The Aquinas cohort model is designed to accommodate a full-time minister's busy schedule, including both in-person and virtual components, where students work together in a close-knit, supportive community. Applications are now being accepted for the 2024 cohort, which begins this summer. Visit ai.edu forward slash dmin for more information. Are you searching for a meaningful way to get closer to Jesus this Lent? Let me introduce you to a fantastic opportunity, Daily Rosary Meditations with Dr. Mike Scherschlich. Their podcast is quickly gaining popularity, offering daily meditations on the Catholic faith through the rosary. Each day, Dr. Mike dives into a different topic, guiding listeners in meditation while praying the rosary alongside a global community. In just under 20 minutes, you'll experience scripture, meditation, and the rosary, all designed to fit seamlessly into your daily routine. Whether it's during your morning coffee or your daily commute, it's a wonderful chance to start your day with faith and reflection. You can easily find them on your favorite podcast app by searching Daily Rosary Meditations or visiting their website at dailyrosary.net. Don't miss this chance to enrich your Lenten journey and strengthen your relationship with God. Join them on Daily Rosary Meditations today.
Welcome back to Preach. Russell, it's always so good to hear you preach. And I think I've told you this a few times, but the thing that I've learned and really tried to hone in my own preaching from you is how you keep the message so simple and clear, right? I mean, I know exactly from the beginning where you're going, and then at the end, you remind us of where we've been. I wonder if you can talk to me about that, because I do think it's a hallmark of your preaching. I think, Ricardo, it was my own experience of listening to preachers that very often someone would start in a place, and then when it came to the end of the homily, I kind of wondered how the beginning and the end sort of worked together. And sometimes I was left feeling like it was very PC because I couldn't make that connection. And so I guess from my own experience, I started to think to myself, well, I have to make sure that I can tie the beginning and the end of the homily in. But also, I found it helpful in preparation that when I get towards the end, I go back and check where I started and say, okay, does this flow in such a way that where I started, it comes to the end that I was hoping, the trajectory that I was hoping to get to. And so in a way, it was helpful for me as well just to make sure that I stayed focused. And I think I had an insight into how you do that. You've sort of given away your trade secrets when you shared your homily. I hadn't seen this before, and we're now well into our first season of Preach, and I've seen many homilies, and not a single person has submitted a diagram or you know, an org chart, as we call it here in the US, an organogram that structures your homily and you sort of have an overarching point and then you have various things branching out like a mind map, which appears to really help you stay on point. Is that something you do all the time? It is, Ricardo, and I do it for two reasons. The first one you've mentioned, to help me to stay on point. So I've got that in front of me, that organogram, and I'm able to look back at it as I'm developing the text. But once I've developed the text, what I hope to do is to have a picture of that organogram in my head. Because I noticed a number of years ago that I communicate much better with people when I don't use notes. And so what I tend to do now when I preach is I would spend a, a number of days preparing and hopefully get a picture of that organogram in my head so that on a Sunday, I can stand up and I can preach without notes because I also feel that makes it more natural and enables me to really communicate with people that are in front of me. I think that some liturgists may not like it. I don't tend to stand behind an ambo. I feel much more freedom standing in front of the altar where I can talk to people and there's nothing between me and the people. But this means that I need to know what I want to do and where I'm going. And sometimes when one does lose train of thought, that organogram in the beginning is the picture in my head which helps me to steer myself back to where I wanted to go if I've suddenly gone off you know, in the direction of a shiny object that I didn't plan to. That sometimes happens as well. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, but other times it's a distraction. <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> Russell, let's look at your homily. This is a podcast trying to show preachers, especially the craft of preaching. So let's look at your homily and see how you structured that in a concrete way. We'll add a link in our show notes to your diagram, but tell me, what does it look like? I took a look at all three texts, 
And I thought to myself, this is the first Sunday of Lent. What can I say to people as we begin this season that would A, encourage them, but B, also try to help people to do something concrete as we enter into the season? So I read all three of those readings. Sometimes it works for me, other times it doesn't. I thought, okay, that first reading from the book of Genesis, I love that thing in the translation I read about a new start that jumped out at me, a new start, that God gives through Noah, humanity, a new start. And suddenly it's occurred to me, well, Lent can be a season of new start. So I thought to myself, that's where I want to go. And I, I then thought, well, the water theme could be one that goes the whole way through the homily as well. When I saw the second reading, the first letter of Peter, But when I read that, Peter really speaks about the faithfulness of God, which is kind of also the point of Genesis. So there was a link there. And then we have the temptations in the desert, and the image of the desert appealed to me. And so I thought with these three images, new start, the faithfulness of God, and the desert, how can I craft something? I also like to work with three points. So it sort of fitted into my normal structure. I thought, There's something I can take here from each of these readings that says something about the Lenten season that we're entering into. I also had in mind that not everybody here manages to get to Mass, for example, on Ash Wednesday. And so for some people, this may be the first Lenten homily that they're hearing. And so how do I bring those who were at Ash Wednesday along, but also speak to people who may be coming for the first time to Mass this Lent. And so with those three, I thought, well, somehow I can challenge people to do something, but hopefully I can also encourage people. And I was quite careful not to use the word sin. And I did that on purpose, because for me as well, later on during Lent, I think one can develop that theme. But right at the beginning, I really want to encourage people to engage with the season as best as they can, and to be open to whatever it is that Lent may be inviting them to do. And it's interesting to me because, you know, just before you on preach, we have Cardinal Arthur Roach, and his message was, come back home. Mm. And now your message is a new start. And obviously you haven't spoken with Cardinal Roach, but that message seems to develop so clearly through the readings that that's what it's inspiring in us as preachers, that it isn't about sort of our sinfulness, but actually God's abundant love before all else. And I think it's an opportunity to present a very positive image of God. You know, when I was growing up, I think we had a sort of negative image of Lent. You know, we were told we had to fast. We were told we couldn't have certain things, chocolate, sweets. There was always an emphasis on going to confession. And if I think back, although my parents were doing the best that they could for us, it kind of did develop a very negative sense as we began Lent. Oh, Lent's come around again. Sure, for the next six weeks, it's going to be a hard life type of thing. But for me, I think as I've grown and as I've had to preach on these texts for the past 18 or 20 years, it seems to me that starting in that very positive place and presenting a very positive image of God is something which is helpful to people. But I also think it's what Ignatius of Loyola tries to do, that, you know, we can't really engage with God unless we've done something about our image of God. Mm -hmm. And so I want people right at the beginning of Lent 
to experience, as I said, that no matter who you are, where you've come from, there's this God that's always loving, always caring. Because it's through that lens, I think we're meant to see the whole season. Hmm. What we call in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, the disposition days. So preparing our hearts to receive God's grace, which happens right at the beginning. But beginnings happen even in the middle, right? I mean, beginnings can happen in the middle of our lives. Beginnings can happen in the middle of our lives as priests and in our preaching. As you were talking about these new starts, I was thinking, how can we as preachers, because so often it's like, well, I've always been doing it this way. How can I as a preacher have a new start this Lent? You know, are there times in your life that you've thought, I'm doing this all wrong or I need to change up the way I'm preaching. How did you learn to make new starts as a preacher? By trying new things. I mean, when I started off, as I guess most preachers do, I had this whole written text in front of me and you'd read it line for line. And then I kind of went to more of a summary type way of doing the homily. Then I went to those organograms and and now I try to preach without notes. So I think experimentation, but I also think I asked many people questions. When I first went into pastoral ministry, we used to give out anonymously on a Sunday a little form for people in the parish to fill out. And this would be done by the sacristan. So she would give these forms out to people in the church. They didn't have to write their names on, and they would give feedback. And because there were a number of masses and there were two or three of us preaching, we would then come together with those forms. We would only do it once a month. You didn't want to burden people every week. We would sit together with those forms. We would share the feedback that we've been given, and we would talk about content, about method, about style of delivery. And I found that very helpful. But I also spoke to other preachers who I thought were great preachers, said, you know, what is the kind of secret to your preaching? And so many conversations like that were helpful to me. And in the last 10, 15 years, I've had a number of friends from the Methodist tradition, from even a post-denominational church tradition, who I think are good preachers. And we've had discussions about, you know, why do you preach like you do? What do you think is important? And so I guess all those learnings and thinking things through and listening sometimes to very bad homilies myself, sitting in the pews, which I also did for a while, I would go around and I would just sit in a church and listen to others preach. All that together has made me think quite seriously about a Sunday homily and the way that I go about preparing and the way that I do it. Can you recall a moment where you felt particularly challenged in your preaching and how that invited you to grow? I was very challenged the first time I had to preach at a funeral of someone who died by suicide. I found that extremely challenging to do. And it really made me, well, it made me very nervous. Mm. But I sat with that for a long, long time. And I kind of feel that that made me think through everything, not just what I was going to say, the way I was going to do it, the style I was going to use. I think that was a really challenging moment. Another challenging moment for me was also at a funeral, the death of a toddler who died at a family barbecue when the child fell in the swimming pool and nobody noticed. And there was this distraught family, the first child, and I had to offer a message of hope to these people that were sitting there. And then I realized, well, maybe I don't need to offer a message of hope, but I just have to mirror for those people there that 
somehow we were there to hold them. Somehow we were there to support them. But I found that extremely challenging. Mm. And it even made me question the appropriateness, I would say, of preaching at a funeral. Because what do you tell a bereaved family like that? So it made me think about, you know, preaching homilies in a very serious way. And in a way, I think that also pushed me to rethink my own style and to rethink even my own theological framework from which I move. Mm. Russell, I know you won't mind me sharing this because you've written about it, but your own brother died by suicide. And I don't know if the first time that you preached, it was after your brother had died, but how has your personal experience of a very dear loved one dying by suicide affected the way that you preach out of that? It's made me much more sensitive, Ricardo, to what I say. It's made me often think that what we are doing there is really not for the person who's passed away, but it's a way of conveying a message to the people who are grieving. And how can I convey some sort of message to those people that are grieving? I think as well that it's made me do much more work before I preach at a funeral, making sure I talk to you know the family to find out what they think. And sometimes I've even asked in difficult situations, I've asked people, you know, is there anything you'd like me to say? Is there anything you'd prefer that I don't say? So it's really heightened my own sensitivity, I think, to being with people who are bereaved and preaching at a funeral. And I think the other thing that it has done, I mean, it's forced me in a way to just think much more pastorally. You know, I think a homily can sometimes be in some places a set of theological formula, and yet human life is not like that. And every funeral, every bereavement is different. So it's taught me to be flexible. Flexible, obviously, within the parameters, but flexible to adjust to that situation of those people at that time. So I will never use a standard stock homily at a funeral. I may sometimes use ideas, but I will always sit down, look at the scripture text the family has chosen, think about the family, and prepare a homily for a funeral right from the start. Hmm. I know some preachers sometimes say, oh, well, I've got a standard wedding homily. I've got a standard funeral homily. Yeah, that doesn't sit well with me. Hmm. I'm not comfortable with that, and especially when it comes to funerals. Yeah, I balk at that too. I mean, I spend so much time speaking to the couple you know, that's about to get married or when I'm going to do a funeral, and I take notes almost verbatim like a journalist would so that I can repeat people's words to themselves, you know, and in the congregation so that they can hear themselves and be reflected in the scriptures, of course, because then, you know, I take that into my own prayer. And how does God's words speak with the words of the people who are grieving? I think that's so important. And I'm pretty sure I learned that from you in large part. You've produced a number of books of reflections, themes about Lent, taking us day to day through Lent. What would you say to preachers trying to make sense of the next five weeks and then into the Easter Tridium would be important themes to touch on during this time? I like to look at the journey of Jesus as we go through Lent, and the texts help us to do that. So I would always start with the love of God, this invitation 
to recognize this God who loves, because I think that that is foundational. And I think gratitude is also important because when we are grateful, when we are able to see things, gifts that God has given us, then maybe at times it helps us to see our weakness or our lack of response to God in a different way. I would talk about sin, weakness, the challenge of that. I think that's an important theme that comes across. I think as well, for me, community comes across in a number of the texts, Jesus's intimate group, but what's happening in the broader community. I think adversity is something that comes up in Lent, the adversity that Jesus experiences within his inner circle, but even in the world around him. I think freedom is another wonderful theme in Lent, that we're always being invited to freedom. And faithfulness, you know, the faithfulness of God through Jesus and the invitation for us to be faithful on our own journey of life. I think that gives us so much to work with for Lent. I have one final question for you. People won't know this, of course I do, but you were training for the priesthood in a diocesan seminary right up until your diaconate. And of course, much of the preaching that takes place in parishes around the world is happening with diocesan priests. What do you think you learned, especially from your years in a diocesan seminary, that has helped you in your preaching that maybe you didn't get from your Jesuit formation? We were taught to preach. That was the thing that really stands out. What are you saying? <laughs> it was a Jesuit who was teaching us. And we were not asked to kind of do lots of classes of theory, but we did preaching for two years. Mm. And right from the second or third class, we had to prepare a homily of four or five minutes. We had to deliver that homily to the class. That homily was recorded. And then the class offered you feedback. We watched the homily again. And then the person who was teaching us offered us feedback. I would say that that really was very formational in my own practice of preaching, that right from the beginning, we were actually doing it. And I'm sad to say in our Jesuit circles very often, I think that we offer people a lot of theory about preaching, but we don't get people to actually do it. And another thing that they did for us towards the end of the second year is on a Sunday, in the local area where priests were open to receiving seminarians, we were actually sent to preach in parishes and people had to fill in a kind of assessment of the preacher. That's where later on in my life, when I was a pastor myself, I got the idea of filling in this assessment of the preacher on a Sunday. So I'm greatly indebted to the formation that I received, I think, in that diocesan seminary when it came to preaching, not to everything else, but certainly to preaching was very, very helpful to me. And I learned a lot of lessons there about preaching in those classes, just from my peers, from the feedback they gave me, but also from seeing the way that other people did it, which may have been different to the way that I thought about it. Mm. Russell, you've not only given us themes for Lent, you've also given me much material to pray with for Lent. Thank you so much for the time you've given me. I'm clearly a fan of yours. I think that's obvious from this entire podcast. But thank you for all that you do. Thank you for helping us and encouraging us to be better preachers this land. Thank you, Ricardo. It's been great to be with you all.
Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings for this week and a link to the transcript for Russell's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn, with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before you go, did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach and a real gift to you this Lent. Just visit the link in our show notes. Also, if you have some time, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Preach. For American Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.